Welcome, friends and fam. It is another episode. Cointel Pro. I know that's a good sign. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so we come on. Sharif just ain't in his chair, and then he freeze. <laughs> that's a good sign. <laughs> uh, welcome, friends and family. It is another episode of A Black Hands, and I'm freezing in the very beginning. This is episode uh, 170, and tonight we are doing it for the culture. We talk about education all the time on this podcast, broadcast, whatever you want to call it. But the interesting thing is culture is education and we divorce the two of them so often. I mean, we have had shows where we've talked about Jay-Z and the NFL, which we should go back to at some point. We'd be talking about uh, Ice Cube and the NFL. We talked about the fight at Disneyland a couple of years ago. It was It was Charles's worst show, show he probably hated the most. So I, I absolutely hated to, it. <laughs> so I don't even want to talk about this. Uh, me and Ray, I think this week, talked a little bit about uh, uh, on our, you know, in social media, and, and actually, Charles, you talked about this with me too when we were more on the road a little bit about the massive virality of this video around the black man who brought McDonald's for his child <laughs> and, and had an on had a fight with the mama because he only brought enough food for one, didn't bring it for all the children. There were a total of four children, I think, and uh, the virality, just the sheer virality. Let me know that as a people and as black people, we are good with comedy. We are good with social commentary. We are good with stories. We love the stories to be told. And our culture is made up of all of these things. Uh, social commentary, insightful family dynamic commentary, uh, humor, uh, 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 the gift of words, the gift of, of, of language and artistry. And to the point where some of these memes that come out of these things to me are art. They are artistry in themselves. Uh, <laughs> we are, are artistic people, you know, and, and I want to just plant the, plant the seed. We're going to talk about culture tonight. This is just for the culture and do the culture. The only way this relates to education is that we have people constantly talking about PD around cultural, culturally, comment, uh, culturally uh, relevant uh, pedagogy and culturally informed and, you know, all culturally, 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 culturally. <laughs> and I bet you, if you gave 90% of people in education a quiz on the culture, uh, well, first of all, I would fail. Because let me say this before, before we jump in, fellas. If you gave me a test and it had things on it like Roxanne Shantae and UTFO and the Fat Boys, right? And, and, and LL's first album, I'm Bad, and what happened the year that that, that, that came out. Uh, that the first that, album wasn't on bad, bro. So, no, no, what, what, what I'm just saying. Th that album, the year that that came out, there was a lot it's of that happened that, that I remember. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Beastie Boys' <laughs> first album, as a matter of fact, I remember what it was to have like white boys who didn't uh, rap like anything other than white boys. They weren't trying to be nothing else and, and watching them take off, right? I would pass that test, mm. right? Like, <laughs> And if that test had some... Marvin Gaye sprinkled in with it too. Uh, 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 you know, some some temptations, some of that stuff. I would pass all that. Uh, uh, run DMCs, the entire first half of of their uh, before they blew up with white folks. The the first half of their career. <laughs> yeah, what happened uh, tonight? I, I would pass that test, right? Uh, X Clan, Public Enemy. Uh, I would pass that test. What's happening now? Good times. All the shows that Norman Lear stole from black writers and didn't pay him for the Jeffersons and all that. I would pass that test. 
But culture isn't static. Culture isn't static. So if you gave me a test today with all these lils, you know, little shorty, little baby, little monster, little, <laughs> little happy face. Yo, little, what is happening tonight? Little rainbow magic. You know, <laughs> little, I would fail that test. I would be culturally incompetent. Uh, competent about that or whatever. Yeah, but maybe so, you might be that if you fail that test, it might just actually mean that you are competent. You I, no, it just means I'm old. <laughs> it just means I'm old. And I, you know, I like, thought you were introducing the show instead of like taking yeah. all these shots. What are you? <laughs> all right. Well, let me add, let me say one last thing, Charles. You were alive and well mm -hmm. when the rubber did hit the road on something cultural that's educational too. And I want to put this out there because this is the way that's different between. The, how we see our culture and the way the rest of the world sees our culture. If those of you can remember, and I can't remember the, the, even the year span when this happened, Charles, you would remember when this happened, but the whole world became aware of the fact that Oakland is about to teach young kids ghetto English. Can you yeah. believe that? Yeah. And that became this national thing. Now, at that time, I wasn't even aware of a terminology called African-American vernacular English, but Ebonics became this thing. Right. It wasn't right. called, we weren't calling it that then either. It was Ebonics. It was, yeah. It was Ebonics everywhere, <laughs> Black right? Black English, yeah. Black English. And I remember as, you know, my first kind of instinct was to be with everybody. Oh my God, I can't believe that. That's terrible. Mm -hmm. That's horrible. These kids will never get a job at a bank. Uh, you know, <laughs> these Negroes will never work in regular society. And then I like did, you know, what I normally do is read up on stuff and study up on stuff and started seeing what they were actually trying to do. And just how offended people were that they would even honor black culture in a way where they saw it as an educative, educative tool. So that's my frame for tonight, which is to say, let's talk about the culture and regular culture and whatnot. But mm -hmm. let's also talk about how it's educative, meaning I learned things from all those people I mentioned to you before. I, I learned things from reading their, 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 their lyrics and listening to their songs and everything else. Uh, and I became more educated from having that as part of my life. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. So where we want to jump in here first, fellas, because, you know, those weren't shots. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm admitting I'm old. Let's let Charles frame the uh, the bilingual argument. Charles, you were there, bro. What happened? I mean, well, I, I was a student at Westlake Junior High School, and uh, Oakland is what a, a large part of the roots of Ebonics before it went away and rebranded as AAVE. But basically, uh, I was, as Brown was talking about it in one of our shows, I was pulled out of Brown's class. I was picked to be part of the select group of black, of black students to kind of help them establish this. They got some pressure and then they abandoned it and abandoned us in the process. And then a few, a decade or so later, you saw it reemerge as AAVE and now it's hit Twitter. And now, you know, somebody that has read about it for one day will now educate the whole world on what AAVE is. But the purpose of it was, was so black folks could feel proud about the way in which they communicate and how they can adapt in certain environments uh, to get things that they need and to get things done. It was supposed to be something that was uplifting to our community and kind of say, hey, there's this inherent skill in what people are not are calling broken English uh, that, that, that has real roots in survival. Uh, they just didn't sell it right. And so that's where Ebonics kind of happened. And from my experience, I, the people that was administering it, I don't think they believed in it enough. I don't think that they were willing to stand in the hailstorm and the fire. Um, but nonetheless, it's here now. And it's one of those things. But I think as you're tying it to this larger conversation of culture, Chris, I think that, you know, I want to make sure I'm understanding your question. And Ray, thanks for having me help frame was like, if I have to say for me, I don't 
if I'm, I'm I'm writing this book and I have to go to some real like places around what helped develop me, what developed my psyche, like what made me who I am. And I'm finding out that most of the positive things did not come from a school environment. It came from parts of my community. It came from elders. And, and it also wasn't always just a clean, this is good, this is bad. Normally those lessons came with a little bit of, this is some bad and some good, and your job as you are, uh, grow and mature is to pull out the good and leave the bad behind and, 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 and reach above that. So as we had this conversation on coach, I'm really interested in what does hit for people. So, Chris, I don't know how I deal with that framing, but I was trying I'm trying because I want to I want to really go there with you on this conversation. Yo, I, I, I like how you framed it, bro, because I, I feel like when we talk about Ebonics, right, I feel like it's like a level of bilingualism um for, for for black folks right and so you know people look at uh when people look at the, the the latino community right it's like a lot of people frown upon the fact that they speak two languages and i'm like that makes them brilliant right the fact that they can pick up on a language that's more difficult than english and now come to america and learn english and speak it better than some people that have been here all their lives or whatever that's amazing to be able to do that mm-hmm. uh and, you, you know and so for for black americans to be able to code switch, uh, learn Ebonics, learn how to navigate in the streets, and then uh, go to the ivory tower, switch over their languages, and now be able to acclimate and uh, and learn amongst the whites. I feel like it's 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 a skill uh, that um, that that we need to put on a pedestal because yo bro, it's it's dangerous out here if you don't know have that skill. I feel like black culture is not given the same respect as language cultures though i mean like like you know if you're french or you're spanish or you're like you know one of these other cultures where there's a language that separates you there's a level of respect or at least status that's not given to standard black americans with uh uh, what with the brother whatever his name is uh who who talks about foundational black americans Right, Tariq. Like, uh, Tariq, yeah, Nasheed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, like there's a level of status that isn't given to us for our art, for our language, for our deviation from the English language. I mean, Black folks in the United States speak a few languages in, in a way, dialects at least. Yeah, yeah. That that I can guarantee you, I have some cousins in Louisiana that y'all wouldn't understand very well. Mm-hmm. I'd uh, understand. Like, like, I would. Uh, yeah, understand. you would. Yeah, that's your people. Oh. <laughs> um. <laughs> probably your cousins too <laughs> probably, probably. <laughs> hey reef jump in here man because philly yeah. y'all talk y'all talk that john language what's happening bro i mean it's so interesting i mean i think you know a couple things one the the whole idea of of being bilingual you know only in america is that looked at as de- as a deficit mm-hmm. you know um anywhere else if you are monolingual yeah, that is the deficit. <laughs> like you can only communicate in one language. Like, mm, pity you, you know. Um, but here, um, instead of that even being looked at as a strength, it's uh, you know, it's like already like, oh, you're ESOL or you know, English language learner or whatever. Like, it's like centers, you know, that one thing. You know, we had a restaurant here, even in Philly, as diverse as Philly is. You know, where restaurant owner, very popular restaurant owner, had a sign like "Don't don't come in here if you can't speak English." You know, not mm. not the deep South, not a, like right here in Philly, South Philly. Mm-hmm. That, that's mm-hmm. what that's what part of South it was, South Philly. Um, 
But it's also just interesting, like when you really study linguistics, right, you know, and you understand how like Dr. Carr and other people who like really study this talk about like the death of understanding in in uh, black English is so profound, right? Like it's so profound. It takes one word and gives it multiple meanings, right? And, you know, just like and, um, you know, it is it's like polyrhythmic. When you think about it, like how the depth is, it's not just a square, it's not just linear. It is like you can say one word with intonation and what it means, all the all the communication that it conveys and how deep it is and, and what black people did to the language to actually improve it, to make it more profound, to make it give it more depth, more meaning. All of that is from, you know, that's what that's what black people do. Um, and then I also think about, you know, there's studies out there that people that really dove deep into this and even look at. You know, you, you hear Jamaicans or people from the island where most of the Africans actually went during the Middle Passage, right? Uh, where they say, oh, they say thing. They, they don't say the, mm -hmm. right? And there were, there were certain West African cultures where your tongue was not supposed to move beyond your teeth. You know, it was, mm -hmm. it was taboo to, to, to speak with your tongue that goes, you know, any words that go beyond. So they didn't have that in their language. So even when they started using English, the oppressor's language, they would say thing. Right. And a lot of the yeah. TH words, you wouldn't hear that, you know, that instead of the because anything that your tongue went beyond your teeth, it was looked at as taboo. Now, imagine not knowing that and then teaching kids and, and just disparaging them about that and looking at them as less intelligent as opposed to understanding like, wow, this is like a cultural norm that's just been passed. Or even a child may not understand the roots of it. But when you understand the roots of it, then you're approaching how to teach them. And it's so much differently. Right. And I think this is a part. This is how it connects to cultural uh, proficiency, where you have the curiosity, you have the understanding and you have some level of depth in your own understanding of the world instead of just mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. monolithic culture. So it, it goes deep. I mean, I love linguistics. Um, it's yeah. so like amazing. Can I jump in there with you? Because I mean, like, I think one, it ain't just black, like most languages, like the deeper you get into the country, the deeper you get into different places, have a different form of that language. Chinese and Mandarin have that, right? Where some of that stuff is written and some of that stuff is not written. I was just in Jamaica in, in Jamaica, and people might say this is like uh, you know, oh, you 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 like taking over their culture, or whatever. Like, no, no. I wasn't in I was in Portmore in New Kingston and the the my accountant that I was there to meet was like I need to teach you some quick patois because it's going to be you're going to get robbed if you don't. Like it was like yo I get in a cab and I got this United States English and it's like yo that ride is normally $20 but because you sound American or European that ride is $60 and you like yo so she was like you going to learn one thing L local price man local price no no right like you can say what you want about that, right? But I saved a lot of money, and it's not – I mean, every culture has their thing. You, there's different parts of Chicago. The west side of Chicago talks very different than the south side of Chicago. They just have different, you know, things. But I think what you were saying, and I would think what people need to understand and what our people need to know is that we are just naturally rhythmic people. Like, so that's why even if we go to a place and we don't know every single nuance of a language, we can pick up on things a lot differently than a lot of other people can. We do everything in a rhythm. Like, I learned how to speak publicly looking at pastors or looking at how King spoke or even Eddie Murphy. If you watch any of those people's talks and they talk about some really different stuff, they all speak on a rhythm. You know what I mean? I think that that is something that's 
when people can't do what you do or make money off of you, then they have to demonize it until they can learn how to copy it and then charge other people for it. That is why my lips got made. It it ain't charge you for it, right? That's why these lifts got made fun of for most of my life, or somebody's bald head got made fun of, or or whatever you got. And now people paying. This is is, listen to what I'm saying, right? But now, now now these lips, these same lips cost people fifteen grand. You feel what I'm saying, like we when we don't even talk about the hips. So this is what I'm saying, right? I mean, and a lot of people don't know who Sarah A. Chris, a lot of people don't know who Sarah Bartman is. This is the the point of what I think the point of your episode is. Is that how many people are watching this right now have never seen Sarah Bartman? Don't know who Sarah Bartman was and what that is, right? Like, and for, y'all should look it up. I'm not even gonna tell you who she was, but again, these things that they made fun of about us or tried to ridicule, now people are paying for that, right? Like, so I just think that if you don't know your culture, not just the ignorance shit either, but if you don't know the roots and the greatness that you come from, it is really hard to live in your full greatness and you give shit away. And then people will resell you your greatness that you gave away for free. Look at West Oakland. Hey, I want to, I want to, I want to jump back to what Reese said a couple episodes ago. And not everybody comes from greatness, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we weren't all kings. We weren't all kings. And, and only, on, only on this show, only on this show, will you get Dr. King. Pastors and Eddie Murphy all wrapped up in the same sentence. Like that's yeah, that's that's like depth and understanding. You know what I'm saying I'm a real scholar, you know, Like like listen to all that you just said though, and you're filling out a rich, you're filling out a rich universe. Pastors, the way that they mm-hmm. talk, and that that is an art form. That's an oratory art form, mm-hmm. right? And you know it when you see it because you about you feel lifted out of your seat when they get going. If you're in the right church at the right time and the right moment, you feel like you could fly right out of there without having to walk, right? That is a gift, right? And it's and, and it has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. There's a young brother right now who's doing it somewhere who was, you know, underneath a, a older brother that was doing it, blah, blah, and it's going to continue on. Uh, at the same time, you know, you mentioned other things like the rhythmic and all that. Uh, I've heard you say several times that an album got you through some hard times, like an artist, like a hip hop artist got you through some hip, you know, and just knowing what they were saying. Like, I mean, listen, if there's one thing in hip hop that everybody has had drilled in their head was it's not good to be broke. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So when people talk about like it doesn't motivate anybody, the motivation is like to not be broke. And to hustle and to get yours and to do what you got to do to get yours, right? That's a message. It's a common message. Now, not everybody is saying the right way to do it necessarily, whatever. But it does make me think that you're going to get a message from your, from your past one way or another, whether it's through music, mm-hmm. art, church. It's, it's going to catch up with you. That, 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 and, and listen, I don't know if y'all brothers have read like Iceberg Slim, for instance. Uh, um, um, Iceberg Slim and Dolomites uh, signifying monkey that should be taught instead of instead of Shakespeare, right? Now everybody who's listening to this right now probably hasn't read Iceberg Slim. I'm pretty sure, and they don't know how that relates to Ice T, and they don't know like you know how Ice T is going to relate to something some other brother uh, listened to and doesn't know that it's derivative two or three generations behind or whatnot. But that is learning. You will learn something out of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know that I want every hey. educator to listen to me to go in tomorrow and teach Dolomite. <laughs> hey, Reef, 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 Reef. 
Reef has a Reef has a really interesting analogy when because when folks say yo you hustling backwards right Reef has this thing that he goes on so Reef talk about what hustling backwards means to you when you hear it bro this well, is hilarious I, I, I don't remember what I said bro like that's so <laughs> random right just like now you know we'll just, just text something me something hustling. crazy. And I don't, I don't remember what it was, but I, I did have a flipping response. But I, I would say, you know, the, the piece about, I think, I don't know about all, I, I don't know if I read Dolomite. I didn't even know that was something to be read. I thought that was a movie. It's an album. It's albums. It's an album, The oh. Signifying Monkey. Yeah. Uh, you can read. Oh, okay. It, it, yeah. It's like, to me, it's the best sonnet. <laughs> like, you should, you should go check out uh, that and teach it. Um, don't, 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 just don't tell anybody that I said that. Tell them that Sharif said it. <laughs> hey, you, hey, shit, you, hey, you tell them, you, if you tell them Sharif said it, you could win a Pulitzer. Yeah, all right. <laughs> don't believe the hype. You know what I mean? I, what I do think, what what I relate to hip hop, because I, I, you know, I, I'm not familiar with the the two that you mentioned, um, you know, in name, but not I haven't, you know, read or or heard the albums. Uh, but what I would say is like, you know, hip hop, it's it's like the, when you're talking about culture, it's like the griot, right? Like it's, you know, part of our culture yeah. is story, you, you part of your opening, like telling stories, helping people to connect the dots, you know, re- relaying messages, like, and, you know, passing along and like how griots were like, they were responsible for that community's story and helping mm-hmm. to connect the dots between families and events and all of these things and, and, and the culture. Right. And so like, just how, how big of a, you know, of an issue that, that was and how it's, you know, been transformed. So I remember, I'm trying to think the first like hip hop song that I remember us listening to as kids were, uh, was one, the, the double Dutch bus. And then a little while after that was the message. Mm-hmm. And of course the treacherous three and, you know, groups like that. Right. Like, and they were, the message was telling a story about like, you know, Reaganomics and, and other issues that were just like really plaguing the, the you know, the, the cities. And so when I think about that, like how that's been passed on and, and poetry, you know, the last poets all the way to Amir Suleiman of today. Right. Like, you know, and, and how they capture so much of, of the culture and like what's happening and what people are experiencing. And a form of, of resistance, right? Like, like, hey, like, you know what? Empowerment, making sure that people are aware, making people sure people are conscious, and and so forth. And and I think a, a part of that is also an element of just spirituality, because I think that's a big part of culture. You know, Malcolm X used to always talk about, you know, the criterion for leadership is spiritual, you know, mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. And like spirituality yeah. adds to it's a part of our culture that some people are like. They, you know, they front them, but that's always been a part of it. It's helped us survive. It helps us stay focused. It helps us uh, lead and be led. Um, so just the spiritual aspect of it. Um, and the last piece I'll say is like, you know, for us, um, so Vita Sana, obviously Vita Sana was part of my school, but it was also bigger than that. It was outside of our school as well, right? Like our summer camps, our after school programs were centered around that. And I remember when people would talk to the founders of Vita Sana and say, well, why do you learn, you know, um, you know, African, uh, you know, why is this an African martial arts? Da, da, da. And they would talk about like even the history of, of martial arts because propaganda will have you think martial arts began in China mm-hmm. or Japan mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. it actually started the oldest, the oldest, uh, you know, evidence of martial arts is in the hieroglyphics of Egypt, right? Ooh, like that is the oldest, that. that's the no. oldest form of anywhere where you're going to see like evidence of hand to hand combat and martial arts and styles and, and different techniques. 
And I remember him, you know, talking to the, you know, people a lot about when you learn Japanese martial arts, for example, karate, you're going to learn about their culture. You're going to bow to their flag, the Japanese flag. You're going to wear Japanese clothing. You're going to learn how to eat like a Japanese. You're going to be embedded. You're going to learn about that. Same with Taekwondo, with Korean, Kung Fu, with Chinese. It's like, you know, as African people, you want to learn your culture too, right? And so Mm -hmm. you're going to learn Swahili as we do this. You're going to learn about polyrhythmic. You know, like if you know Asian martial arts, when they do a form or a kata, they go in a square. And that's where I first learned about polyrhythmic and syncopation and cadence. You're learning this <laughs> yeah. these words in elementary school or, or in your out of school time with martial arts because it was grounded in African culture. Right. And so I think that's just, you know, all of that, you know, just the arts, you know, how do you, you know, and how people have traditionally used arts for not only retainment, but resistance through the arts as well. Big Yo, you, you you brought that. Oh, my bad, right? I, I, I'll no, be no, I'm quick. telling you to jump in here, but I was gonna tell Reef I could beat him up. But yo, go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, Reef, you know, is always threatening the pacifist, but the pugilist might not win. So, but anyway, <laughs> so uh, Reef, I think our worlds collide uh, with your boy Amir, the poet. He's an incredible poet. Yeah, so Amir in Oakland, Dyson. That's yeah, a fellow cub. Yeah, so and so in Oakland, you know, we had the Air Lounge, and that was where like this huge. It was this huge poetry scene or whatnot, and the mirror would come out a whole bunch. So long before I knew you, I, I, I saw that brother. He's a powerful cat. Um, but again, uh, what you're talking about, what all of us is talking about for the people. You talking for about the- Amir Tyson or Amir Suleiman? You talking about Amir Suleiman. Tyson and Oakland? Suleiman. But I know Tyson oh, too, though. Mm-hmm. But I know Tyson too. Um, Tyson, Tyson's a good brother. He got a good book too. Um, but um, but Salim is a beast. Like anybody, go go check Salim. out his poetry. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a, but, he's a monster. But um, what I was gonna say was what you're talking about. What all of us have talked about for the for the for the for the education wonks, and you need some framework and stuff, right? You can go. Wade Nobles uh ha- has built a framework around this, and he would call this spirit. And he would say like, when you're thinking about education, not just from a Western perspective, but from an Afrocentric perspective. You have all these similar things, but they always leave out the spirit in the Western side. And what we're talking about, that rhythm, uh, that that cultural awareness, that being able to sense things in a different way, like we're just very spiritual people, regardless of what our religions are. So, for instance, when I came home from school, let me let's talk about culture. I could tell what kind of day was going to be or what was happening by what my mom was listening to when I got home. If she listened to Fred Hampton, never would have made it. Some bill got to get paid and we got to figure out how this bill going to get paid. If she's listening to Outstanding, she's having a good day. Something good at work happened. And if she's listening to any Mary J. Blige song, my daddy done did something like but without words. Right. There is a whole my brother knew it. My sister knew it. Anybody that walked into that house knew it. And in our culture, there are so many things that go unsaid that like we are able to to like really be able to hone in on a sense. But I think that it gets overlooked a lot of times because it tends to be darker people that have it. It's the same way that like birds can fly, right? Like we don't, we don't know what that feels like to know how to fly and to know how to do that. But on the spirit side, we actually do. And if you teach your babies, if you teach black kids, brown kids or whatever, that they come from something bigger than what the mainstream is always trying to sell them off of, like it's hard it's hard to not live into your greatness. This is why I, I would get mad at my, my parents because I'm like, yo, why didn't y'all tell me about Granny helping raise Fred Hampton? Why didn't you tell me that I had these people in my background? I mean, Chris and I had that moment. We've mentioned it before. where like I was just showing him this dude in my family who's a historian and he has like like 
handwritten like first, you know, first first documents about who got married to who, who fought in the Civil War. And it's like, yo, it's a lot of dumb shit that I did in my life. But if I had known that I came from this, I feel like I would have moved different. I, and, and I think that that is not something I don't care how hard we push. They're not going to do it in schools. And if they do do it, they're not going to do it right. So we have to start embracing the good parts of our culture and passing that down with a filter, with a strainer, as Chris would say, because Chris was about to go into some dumb shit that's in our culture. I know he is because he can't resist himself. Well, I'm not going well, to. Let me, well, let me, let me ask this. Go ahead. Before you go, go into the dumb shit, bro. I wasn't going to go into the dumb know, shit, but go ahead. I know, <laughs> I know, it's, I know it's coming too. No, but I, I, I want to I I I talk about, I want to talk about just like um, how culture is preserved at HBCUs, right? So like I went to a PWI uh, initially, right? And like there are certain rituals and things that take place at those uh, predominantly white institutions that it's just like, eh, you know, but when you go to like, the, when you get to an HBCU, it's like, oh, you feel like, damn, I'm home, Right. And so shout out to, to, to the folks at the V Morgan State University that embraced me when I got there because, you know, I know we can't say V anymore because Ohio State has co-opted it. Um, but, man, uh, Reef, talk about your talk about your HBCU experience, man, because I didn't experience it as an undergrad, but I know it had to be amazing, bro. And I know if I had to do all over again, I definitely probably would have went to a, um, to, to a to a HBCU undergrad. Oh, you didn't go HBCU undergrad. You went to a white school too. He he's you you on mute, I think, Sheree. No, I went to Cheney for grad, um, for graduate school, principal certification. All my HBCU experience was for homecomings and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. was uh that was the undergrad um, you know, experience. But I agree with you. You know, HBCUs, I think, you know, our religious uh institutions. Um, and, you know, like one of my favorite places as a kid was Freedom Theater. You know, I wasn't mm. like an artist or anything like that. But seeing, you know, that was uh, on Broad Street, you know, and seeing like my my friends and, and other folks who I didn't know, youth performing and, and things like that, and you know, um, was just always just really, really dope. You know, like just seeing all the again, back to storytelling through the arts. Um you know, at Freedom Theater, at the African-American History Museum, all these kind of, uh, you know, spaces, I think just captures, cultivates and protects um, our culture in a lot of different ways. So, Hey, I'm, 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 in, I'm in protection. I used to see it was elementary school. You know what I mean? Like that's mm -hmm. I felt like that. I got that in elementary school in a lot of different ways. I, I'm in protection of black women mode. But boy, I'm Nicole. She make it hard. boy. <laughs> I didn't see what she said, but get him, Nicole. Get him. I, I, whatever you said, I feel sorry. When I was no, she was correcting me. Which was totally fine. I was. The, I, I missed Fred Hampton when it was a Marvin Sapp song. That's my bad. The point was, if my mama had black gospel singers on, we knew we what the were point struggling was. with a bill. We knew what the point was, and this, this is part of our culture too. This is part of our culture too. We all knew what you meant. We all knew what you meant. But, but all it takes is for one of the sisters to walk through the room and be like, you know, it wasn't Mar uh, it wasn't Fred Hampton. Just so right, right. That that's part of our culture. Too. My mama would have said something too. So I ain't mad at it. It is what it is. But but I mean, but we're talking about that's culture. Why we have that's why that's why there's barbershops. But here, 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 
This is wider. You think we're in there for four hours getting a haircut? <laughs> no. We getting a refuge. We getting a refuge. But Shit. like but, barbershops but, are our weed when you get to a certain age, you know. Like, so and here's the go, thing go though, right? Down. But you made this point, right? And I'm glad you did bring up the school piece. But I also want to say most people in this country don't go to college. And a lot of and a lot of black people don't go to college. So I know that, like, you know, in HBCUs, some sometimes them grads would definitely try to make people that didn't go to their schools feel some kind of way. We gotta probably stop doing that, but show them love. Morehouse, all them, good. Love it. Do your thing. But, like, the vast majority of our people don't go to college, right? Like, so culture still, right? There's still, like, festivals of culture that I want to make sure that we honor it, right? That's not just around. Because you're a very privileged group of people if you get to go to college and you get to do those things. And, and it's a blessing, and you should if you can. But you know what I'm saying? But there's also a culture of that the handyman in your neighborhood that could fix everything, right? Anytime something had had happened that woman that could cook whatever that was growing stuff in her in her yard like there are things that were part of our community that we did to take care of each other and you could actually make really good money doing and you were also a valuable member of your community because here's the thing it's a lot of people that got college degrees and, and, and advanced degrees that don't do a damn thing for their culture. But the damn candy lady down the street, I know her. I've known her. She's been a protective person and she's taking care of us in different ways. But when you know what 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 are the, some of the places that you want us to hit on this culture talk, though, Chris? Because, like, you know, I'm, I'm very curious because I know I know that, like, this means a lot, you know, to all of us in certain ways. And we'll we'll go all over the world on it. So. You know, bring us in a little bit. Like, what? where do you yeah, want to culture, go deeper into? Our culture, our culture is all over the world. You know, I'll say this about this last part that you just said, though. Th this is what I was thinking as I, as I was thinking about it. In white world, when they talk about culture, they they uh, have an idea that they're... Every time you're about to say something great, they freeze up. They they, they coming for you, Chris. I know. Chris, you froze up. You got to say that whole thing again. I know. In white world, when they talk about culture they often are talking about high culture and low culture and high culture is the really super refined things that, you know, it's like the movie that nobody sees, but it gets an Academy award, mm. right? Like that movie that was like just a couple years ago or a year ago or however long ago was, you know, black and white with no sound and blah, blah, blah. And it won an Academy award. And the BET awards is, is like, like the rest of the culture type of thing, right? Like, so, so in white world, there's a high culture, there's a low culture, low culture is generally considered pop culture. And that high culture is that inaccessible elite culture. When y'all were just talking about HBCUs in black world and in black culture, I do believe there's a high black culture. And that includes things like Sarah Vaughn and understanding who Langston Hughes was and reading books like Our Kind of People and, you know, having been to the Hamptons or to uh, uh, Martha's Vineyard, you know, one, one summer in your life uh, and going to HBCUs is part of that too. People don't know this, right? Like a lot of them HBCUs are private schools. That's why, you know, when people talk about the disproportionate debt of black people, you know, blah, 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 who went to college or whatnot. They're not telling you the other part of that story is because there's this thing about, you know, high black culture going to HBCUs, collecting a whole bunch of damn debt uh, for the for, for that experience and coming out, not necessarily always as connected to your people as when you went in. Right. Like like there is something to that. And I'll tell you one way that culture plays a part in all this, because we talked about this, too. And see, y'all going to hate me for this because because there's going to be people listening right now. They're about listen, pull your knives out. Here they come now. Uh on Insecure when they did the thing with the Deltas, when all this stuff comes up with the AKs, 
Y'all, okay, Nicole. No, no, no. I'm only, okay, this Nicole. is different. Let okay, me tell Nicole. you why this is different. Okay, Let me Nicole. tell you why this is different. All right, bro, you don't want to be, you don't want to be on the show. First of all, you don't want to be on the Let a brother finish the sentence. Let a brother finish the sentence. You don't want to be on the show calling calling one sorority another sorority. We ain't doing that. They all sisters, right? I will be on this my continue, sentences. Christopher. Christopher, exactly continue how going I forward, say my sentences. Move forward. Uh, <laughs> but my only point in saying that is, Charles, you're right. Uh, something like 25, 30% of people go to college in the first place. Right. Something like 15 or 20 come out the other end with a degree, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're among those people, you have to know that you're among the minority, right. like a, a gilded minority, like a small minority in comparison to everybody else in the world, right? And the way that the rest of us have access to things like fraternity life and these these parts of the world that we don't get to see HBCUs and all that, uh, you had a whole gener generation of people that discovered that through a different world. You know, mm -hmm. with Lisa Bonet and Bill Cosby, right? Uh, uh, the Bill Cosby show was a juggernaut. That show was a beast. That show was bigger mm -hmm. than Seinfeld or anything else that ever came for an entire generation of people got to see black professional life got to see uh, Black HBCU life, and then movies like Spike Lee's, uh, what was it? What was Spike's movie? Uh, uh, do the Right Thing. Nah, no, not no, Do the Right no, Thing. He's no, talking no, about no, uh, yeah. School Days. School Days, right? For some of us who didn't know anything about that world, that was one one ex access point to like what, what goes down in that, right? That's culture. Mm -hmm. That's artistry. Like that's, hey, so, that's people, so, you, know, you know, connecting you to something you don't know about, right? Right. Yeah, so really quick, I, I just want to debunk a myth. Right. Uh, not saying that anybody said this, but I just want to make sure that folks out there know this. It's real easy to get caught up in, in, in the whole thought process that there's more black men in jail than there is in college. That is not true. There's almost double the amount of black men that are in college that are in prison. All right. So just wanted to put that out there. So even though they ain't in college, that doesn't mean that they're in prison. Wanted to put that on the record for y'all. Well, now, if you start asking a different question, because I've heard this, I've heard this quote sliced up a few different ways for effect in speeches. But if you start yeah. acting, if you start asking something different, like how many black men are caught up in the criminal justice system at any point, meaning on parole, in county jails, not in prison, in jail, yeah. like in yeah. city jails. That's a different conversation. Mm, well, you know, it's an important different conversation, too, because you start getting a whole bunch more brothers locked up in, in situations in yeah, which but think of, think about the system the has people. got them. So. But, but, but I mean, but, but since we're talking about culture, this kind of infuses, right? Think about the amount yeah. of people that are locked up for some straight bullshit, right? So the amount of people that Maybe are the majority on, on, <laughs> on, on marijuana charges when you got white boys out here making billions of dollars right. on, on, on marijuana, right? And so, I mean, just th think about that, right? Think about think about how, how our... Up. Even if it's okay, illegal in the state now, they still jammed up, right? Still, like not Still there. Yeah. And, well, and I started of a business, right? Like, you know, you still still can't get that license and to, to do what you need to do, especially in places like Oakland. But no, nah, yeah. I got you, man. I, I think but when we talk about culture, I mean, well, you are still going, Chris. I Go ahead, brother. Uh, and Ray, I didn't want to cut y'all off. I mean, y'all jump in. I, I was just basically saying how culture becomes our teacher of all these things that we talk about, even. But but the point I was actually trying to drive to was a question for y'all around, do you think high culture and low cu culture in black world, low culture took over at some point and it's the majority culture now? I don't know who, who gets to, I mean, who gets to say what's high and what's low, right? I mean, Lupe Fiasco was talking about this too, because he was doing this thing around hot, fine art. And they was like, why are you ain't talking about this on the album? He was like, because... 
the cast that's buying this shit don't want it. Like, no, like this is for a different group of black people that want to see me do manga or you know the type of stuff or whatever that I might infuse in the hip hop to teach you something new. Uh, but he 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 feels very strong on this conversation as well. Uh, around uh, he's he's very Chris Stewart. I'm gonna send it to you, brother. I think you're gonna <laughs> like it, and we should talk about it. But I love yeah. I love that dude. But I, I don't. But what's high and what's low? And what I mean is. I love my black people that can teach me some stuff that I don't know. Like I like I hit I hit Reef up this week, right? It was is E Mubarak, and I sent it to him, and I was I sent it, and then I sent the message right after, like, and I hope I didn't do that wrong, and I hope I didn't. I'm Christian. I hope I didn't disrespect no Christian values or no Muslim values in that. But I wanted to show my man love because my proximity to him. I got another really close friend that's that practices as well too. You know what I'm saying? And like, but my proximity to those two brothers. It, you know what I'm saying? It makes me aware of certain things. Like, so if we're in the same city, it's like, okay, I know that my brother can't eat this. I know that he needs this, that, and the third. And then I'll ask questions. Like, I, I love learning new things about the way different people black. You know what I mean? I love, like, going into, like, Miss Helen, and she got records and or a type of music that she listened to that really spoke to her. You know what I mean? It's like, like, so... I don't want to call somebody stuff lowbrow because it ain't what I like. And I don't want nobody calling the stuff that I like lowbrow, right? Like, cause it's like you said, th them DMX, Eminem, like them Tupac, them early albums when I was going through it, yo, like them albums was there for me before the proliferation uh, and, and funds for counseling. Like there were things that helped really get me through. Like, you know what I'm saying? Watching. To be clear though, it's not lowbrow. Not lowbrow, but Okay. All right, so, I don't, so low, all because I don't want to get it wrong. My bad. Yeah, yeah. So, like the difference between high and low culture is supposed to be high culture is the reflection of um the, the elite, meaning uh, it's, it's, it's the same thing as popular culture, but it's popular culture for the elite, and oftentimes it gets uh revered by the masses, mm -hmm. meaning like that obscure arts film that wins the Academy Award, absolutely that, no, that nobody you or I know saw. And all of a sudden it's getting in a, the award. And now we're supposed to go see it because now it's going to be on Netflix and everybody's supposed to watch it because it won that award. Right. Versus the stuff like Lady Gaga, for instance, that has sold way more than anything that high that sells in high culture, uh, but isn't as isn't considered to be uh, uh, as refined as what the elite would love. Right. So it's not a low brow. It could be totally right. smarter in pop culture. It could be totally smarter than anything up there but it's interesting that someone like basquat right like uh uh you know in his in his lifetime might be considered a street artist for a period of time and then the elite picks up on it and starts liking it and becomes high high that's how it transitions and becoming high culture but the way that i'm asking this question is a little bit different for us is in that we really do have some hood stuff that rises up to be absolutely <laughs> the main cultural uh, way, of, way, and, I, and I hate that. I huh? and I hate that. No, <laughs> I I hate that. Why do you hate it? it? Do you hate it because you if it doesn't feel embarrassing to you, or do you hate it because you know you're it's supposed to be a guilty pleasure? Like, or, or no, it's definitely it's definitely not a guilty. It's not definitely not a guilty pleasure for me. Uh, I think I hate it because like I just want so much better for our people, right? Like I just want so much better for people. Like I want people to be able to dream big and be able to like reach the stars and like do all the things that I know that they could do if they put their minds to it. Well, let me ask you a direct um, question. Who's funny, yeah. Bill Cosby or Cat Williams? A Bill Cosby post him drugging people or like- well, Before we knew he was a rapist. I mean, like, oh. like, like, so if someone's gonna give you tickets this weekend 
to see Bill Cosby in his prime or Richard Pryor in his prime? Who I'm going to see Richard see? Pryor. Okay, out of those two, you would see Richard Pryor. Out of, so yeah. today, you know, if you had to see uh, 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 Cat Williams or somebody like Wayne Brady, I don't, I can't think of it. <laughs> Wayne. Brady I think Wayne Brady is hella funny. I would absolutely see Cat Williams first. I love Wayne. I ain't got no. I don't hate Wayne Brady, but he ain't Cat Williams when Cat in his bag. Yeah, but Cat. This last show that Cat did, Cat wasn't in his bag. It, it, Even it though he had but I mean, he done gave you what eight, nine. <laughs> How many he gonna yeah. hit? Right. They all can't be switched. You feel me? They they all can be. I don't know, bro. I don't know. I mean, there was a point in time with comedy. There was a point in time where Richard Pryor uh, uh, had. This is before he. Well, Richard Pryor wanted to be Cosby first. He he built this out with Cosby. But people like Red Fox couldn't get booked on a lot of stuff at the same time that Bill Cosby could, for instance. Bill Cosby wanted to be Bob Newhart. Mm-hmm. Right. And he wanted white America to love him like Bob Newhart. So he did clean comedy. He did it in the storytelling, same way, uh, fashion. Well, it was deriv- derivative. Red Fox came straight out like like hood comedy uh, of that era and of that time. And that's where I think Cat Williams comes out today. And I don't think it's embarrassing. I think it's the I'll funniest thing I've ever seen. No. no, I think it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. It ain't, it ain't embarrassing, but, here, but here's where you got to take the good with the bad. And, and a lot of people don't know this. But no, a lot of people don't know this. Eddie Murphy told this story. No, no sorry, Eddie, I'm laughing because I've never, I've never heard a Red Fox, join uh, a Cat Williams. I've only seen like clips on Instagram. Oh, he's <laughs> brilliant. Like, he's like, brilliant. Hey, he he is. Hey, like they, I think they are brilliant. I think, I think with the street hair, right? Yeah, but Cat, yeah. Cat Williams yeah. is so brilliant because it's masked as hood shit, but it's actually these very poignant pieces on like what's happening in the country in a way that connects people. It's not very highbrow in a way that excludes people. And Red Fox, here's the, here's the good with the bad, what I'm talking about and why you need that, 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 that colander when you're talking about culture. Red Fox also didn't have any financial literacy at all. So Red Fox was in so much debt. One, Eddie Murphy had to pay for his funeral. He ain't had no paper. Red Fox was in so much debt to the government. And here's the thing, y'all. You, I don't care what president you like, if you're Republican or Democrat, there's one stage of government that always works, and it's the IRS. They used to, that dude used to do shows, and they would be at the side of the stage when he got off and took his money right then or whatever, right? So there's, there's, there's knowledge that you need to have that, that, that might not be cultural, that needs to become cultural. Financial literacy needs to become cultural in our communities because I am 38. I have a bunch of degrees and I am still now just learning and building up like my own financial pieces. I mean, that was one of our things in the in the slack where, you know, you was ripping me a little bit, Ray. Right. But I was like, yo, I just went and did my books. I've been paying taxes on reimbursements like that. Don't You don't pay taxes there. Right. But I'm so scared of the damn tax, man. I'm always going to overpay in taxes. So what you're saying, Chris, as we talk about culture, there are some raw, beautiful moments that we got. And Red Fox is a perfect personification of that. But there's also some things that we need to add to our culture, like mental health, uh, uh, understanding finances, understanding how to diffuse situations, understanding how not to die from a heart attack at 55. You know what I mean? I think I, I think that's the larger point that I was gleaning from your piece on Red Fox, who I love dearly. Well, I just want to say this about the. So, yes, to everything you just said. <laughs> yes to everything you, yeah you, you know yes to everything you just said and at the same time i don't want to pretend like the reason that we get taken for a ride especially in the entertainment world is just because we didn't understand finance oh, yeah it's general. racist as hell it's not just it's not just racist 
is fraudulent, it's corrupt, right? And everybody from every kind of celebrity still today has been robbed by their CPAs who are in cahoots with the people they're making contracts with. Sometimes you're a baller and your attorney's in cahoots with the damn team that you're negotiating with and you don't even know it, right? You don't, you don't see more than one basketball player, more than one musician, more than one poet and actor or whatnot. Wesley Snipes and everybody else end up with situations where it's not that you were financially uh, ignorant. It's that the complexity of that amount of money and the complexity of the contracting and all that requires you to have other people have the expertise. Like none of you are at the level in which you, you, you can just rely on yourself. And we and black artists, musicians and everybody else have been robbed uh, forever and still are today. It's still taking place today. And some of them are doing it to each other. Like these contracts that people have with each other and whatnot. I had Sheila E on my show and she told me that uh, she was broke at the, at the Purple Rain premiere. Uh, um, they made Morris Day get his own cab to the premiere of Purple Rain, right? Like, and he had $30 like to get there or whatnot. He had just been one of the biggest movies, you know, made, just, had just made one of the biggest movies, had been on one of the biggest tours or whatnot. She came off of one of them tours with Prince, who was already fighting the management companies himself and even her uh, uh, with all this high-powered help and assistance, got robbed. They just literally got robbed of money. Uh, I think I just saw some with T-Pain, you know, and he's a very bright brother. It's not like he, you know, uh, these systems are corrupt. So yes to what you said mm -hmm. and yes to knowing that there is a complexity to the game that no my, no matter how astute you think you are, you better still be realizing that you could still get lost. You hey, still well, you know, you, you, know who, you know who's winning right now? This guy on the main screen. <laughs> <laughs> How's he winning, Ray? Random, bro, because he's it, it hasn't been 10 minutes if you're not going random, so let's hear it, bro. Josh, come back. Well, Reef is well, winning, man, because hey, because Reef is financially savvy and Reef is everywhere, man. And I, I want to make sure that Reef get Reef gets his shine. Well, y'all, you listen, because we only got 10 minutes left here. Let me ask you this, because this is my only one question I, I had for y'all. Tell me about a cultural influence that you had that is not school, not education, oh, not any of that. That, And if you have more than one, tell me more than one that was educative, meaning in listening, watching, whatever it is, reading, whatever it was, you learned something that you use in your life now. And when you're defining, like, I mean, for this particular question, you're talking about more or less around the arts. I mean, you, it, about, it, you know what I mean? Like you're talking about something like a, a show, a movie, music, or you're talking about just could anything. be. So let me give a definition. A lot of what we've talked about tonight has end up in like entertainment type of. Uh, and that's culture. probably because that that's a lot of like where I found some of that inspiration. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I, I saw Jesse Jackson give a speech when I was in high school that made it that made me want to be better with speechcraft for the rest of my life. Right. I remember being so lifted out of it. it was, he was so gifted and it was something I've never seen since. As a matter of fact, you have these defining moments where you see a performance or you read a thing or you hear a lyric or something and it sticks with you for some reason. Mm -hmm. That particular speech that I saw from him, saw him give uh, is in my mind still as of today, all these years later. Right. And that was a, uh, I saw that in high school. But uh, you, you may you prompted me to do this real quick. Definition of culture. Um, Culture can be defined 
as all the ways of life, including arts, beliefs, and institutions of a population that are passed down from generation to generation. Culture has been called the way of life for an entire society. Um, that can include things like a speech you heard or your pastor or, um, you know, religion, just different things in your culture. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking about non-school things outside of school um, that your teacher <laughs> may not have a shared value with it around it at all because they didn't they weren't even near this this that you yeah. carry with you. Yeah. So Charles, you said you had one. Oh man, I already said yeah. That. Well, mine, I, I think the best way to give out information is through storytelling. I think that is our tradition. That's what we do. I, I had to Trojan horse my urban youth-led think tank as an advocacy group before and, and when before we could actually tell these stories of what we wanted to tell that had facts and things in a very Cat Williams-esque way, right? Where you're talking directly with people about their culture. Um, I, I would say, so public speaking was Eddie Murphy. I think he has the best transitions ever. He's just masterful at it. Chris Rock was the first person that actually was, was the hip hop like speaker of that time. He was the first person I saw be hip hop that wasn't a part of the traditional elements of it. But pastors, man, like the way that pastors could get people's emotions on a string is masterful. Like it, it, however you feel about them. I think Malcolm X had like this rapid machine gun type of way he delivered a message that shot you just like you could not leave a talk from him feeling the same way as when you started. Like, and then finally Tyson, Mike Tyson is a fighter, but I look at his style when I'm speaking, right? He was intense. He just came out with the black towel on, like he was efficient and he was powerful and he was coming to knock your ass out. Like when I speak, I try to look at those people. I think around fearlessness, it was like Elaine Brown. Since I met her, her and my grandmama, Ernestine, my daddy's mama, them was just two of the fiercest women. Like I feel like they can, they can whoop Tyson's ass, like with they words, with how they move. Like Elaine Brown ain't scared of nobody, man. And still to this day, and she's still just super fashionable and kindness and faith with my, my mama's mama. Like this woman is the reason I believe in God. She is the reason why I'm Christian. Like when she was dying and she said, I deserve this. You got to let me go. Like that was profound. I ain't got that from nowhere else. Um, entrepreneurship with CJ Walker and Master P. I know you might be like, hide them two people together. You should look at their history, both of their histories. They don't have, they didn't have this traditional, you know, education thing. Like Master P ain't even the best rapper, but what Master P was able to do and build like is incredible. And then finally writers, Baldwin, Lupe Fiasco and Nas. The, what these cats do with words and, and, and Lauren Hill actually too. What these people do with words is just like, they, they made words and art for me in a different way. Like they made words dance on paper like Baldwin for his whole demeanor and how soft he was and like how kind he like you know he had this very not like uh he, he just is not an intimidating person and then you read some shit that he wrote and you like god like how how like Pierce. Pierce. He, he is so much of an inspiration to me that I flew to Paris to sit where he sat in one of those cafes uh, and right where they said he was at, man, and, and wrote there. And I felt that spirit. So those are just some of the people. And that's just some. And, mm. and, and ain't no teacher I ever had touched none of that. Except for maybe Brown, ain't, none of, ain't no teacher I ever had got close to touching that. Mm. That's exactly what I was talking about. What about you, Reef. Sharif? Yeah, I mean, you know, particularly... Uh, Elementary and middle, it was like really impossible to separate, you know, um, it was all, you know, blended. But I, you know, I mean, for me, Malcolm and his words, um, you know, watching his speeches and 
the you know the documentaries and stuff like that was even as a kid was just just really hit home for me um just so many things things that you knew but as as uh cole said you know his delivery his cadence his straightforwardness like it was just like you know like speaking in a way that was so direct so easy to understand yet so masterful (laughs) you know all at the same time it was just like yo like that's uh you know um and I think the other piece, and I mentioned this, and again, this was in school, but it was also outside of school. Our, our Vita Sa'ana for me was, you know, like it was everything about, about the culture, you know, having an uh, African-centered martial arts and all the things that we learned from there, you know, beyond martial arts. It was the, it was, uh, we, we would take uh, martial theory, you know, um, you know, our summer camp was, was let, ran by our African martial arts teacher, right? And so it was like mm. all the out of school time that we were getting all of this just extra knowledge and understanding and and just history and and art. And that's where I, you know, we started, you know, they were teaching drumming and stilt walking and storytelling and and art. Like, you know, all we we would have skits. You know, I, I found a picture, <laughs> we were literally doing this skit about uh slumlords. And and uh, what did it mean to uh, insulate your home and what what happens when slumlords don't. Right. Like there's so many things outside of a typical classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are also people who were also teaching this within the school. Right. So it was like just all connected for us. And then I would say the other piece was just, you know, um, Islam as, as a Muslim, you know, uh, you know, Islam is a is a religion and a spiritual base that's political, that's cultural um that has art it has so many things infused uh you know within it um but the base is like you know spirituality and even just the the culture of of character right you know like how do you refine you know your character and you know um and how do you use it you know somebody mentioned earlier like a filter like how do you Mm -hmm. filter things um through a spiritual lens um that's refining your you know your your own culture your own identity your own person um, and how that, you know, manifests uh, in your actions in the world and stuff. So all that. Yeah, I, I loved reading, uh, you know, just the culture that was captured in, in biographies, you know, um, even outside, of, you know, outside of school. So our libraries, whether it was on, uh, you know, Green and Shelton, whether it was on 54th Street in West Philly, where there's the main library, like all of those spaces, um, and then the culture events that many of them would host. Um, and then things like Odunde. Like Odunde is like, you know, like a, a festival, uh, hmm. a black festival. We used to have another festival. I can't remember what it was. It was a, you know, African-American festival or something. It was different than Odunde. Um, it used to be on the parkway in Philadelphia, like, you know, main, main road of, of Philly. I don't remember what it was. I don't even know if they, I don't think they still have it. I don't know when they stopped, but Kwanzaa, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the Kwanzaa, the principles, the, you know, the, uh, the culture aspect that that's brought in again, the spirituality of it all. Yeah. It's, it's so much. I mean, I, I love thinking about just how culture influences, um, in the, in the different spaces. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And PE, you know, I didn't necessarily <laughs> learn things, but things that got me hype, you know, and things that I love to bring PE know, back, man. Yeah, I know. They, they, you know what? There's a version of them that's out there right now. They, man, they merged was, with uh, Rage Against the Machines. So Rage now, they're called, the Machine, yeah. now they're called Prophets of Rage. 
Yeah, them and them and KRS were like my favorite. Yeah. Like just you know how they brought up you know um, just different things, different political aspects into the uh, you know the conversation. I I just loved it, man. I, I loved it. Raymond. Yeah, I, I guess for me, um, the uh, Straight Outta Compton album was the album that kind of kind of changed my life in the sense of. Um, I had just witnessed my uncles. Um, they had just gotten uh, beaten really bad by the police um, uh, in, in Covington, Louisiana. Um, they, they had got pulled over uh, by some detectives and um, gotten roughed up pretty badly. Um, and then the next thing you know, that album came out and one of the singles off the album was F the Police, right? And so, man. I disavow. Yeah, hey. Listen, I'm not, <laughs> hey, listen. If you if you if you saw if you saw what he I messed saw, with you, man, he got you. He just no, no, gave no, you no. a hard time. All good, all good. But if you witness what I what I witnessed, like face to face, seeing that that happened the way it happened, you see uh, white detectives with with, with with loaded shotguns beating the shit out of people that you love, and then you hear music like that. It kind of resonated for me in the sense that it just you know it, it was never really any justice from that for them right that wasn't during the times where there were cell phones that wasn't during the time where you know there would be lawsuits or anything like that uh basically what happened to them was um they had to they pleaded guilty and was given probation and 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 uh in exchange for them not uh trying to sue right and so that's how the system worked against them in louisiana and it ended up hurting one of my other uncles because he then had a conviction when he um when he when he got caught up doing something that he really did wrong, he had he had that prior conviction and ended up getting more time than he probably should have gotten hmm. for uh for the offense that that he got. So yeah, that that um that NWA album resonated for me. Um, I, I took a lot away from that. Um, I have a healthy respect for the police uh, these days. However, uh, I know how uh, much of an impact bad cops can have on a community. Right. And so if you got if, if, if cops are in the community, they're getting to know folks that are in the community, they're building relationships with that community that in their community policing. That's one thing. But if they're driving in, it's kind of like how we talk about with teachers. Right. When, when they're when they are not associated with the community, when they are not a part of the community and they're doing things to the community and not with the community, that's not healthy policing. And so, yeah, that's me. I, yeah. Well, real quick, real quick. I got a healthy perspective of the police, too. Don't trust it. That's my healthy perspective. <laughs> well, I would just say, because we about to go off on a tangent, but I want to hear the rest of yours, Ray. Like, you answered one, right? Like, those cultural influences that were outside of school. You gave us one with NWA, and I respect the story that you told, because I didn't, I didn't, that's why I didn't hop in. I didn't want to step on that. But what other things did, you know, like, from culture, did you feel like you got more from than, than in your schools? Because, you know, people listening to us, and they're going to go download some of this stuff. So, what else you got? Um, so, I would I would actually say my fraternity experience, right? Which is, for me, outside of school, because even though it's a, it's a college fraternity, it's still outside of. And so, like, the connections that, that I was able to build in terms of, um, you know, post-college 
and embracing like other black men, right? Because like, I feel like a lot of times we're in competition with one another. And that whole idea of sending the elevator back down for folks or whatever, it really didn't resonate for me until like post-college, right? And so now, you know, like if, 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 if I'm in circles with, with black men, man, I'm trying to look for opportunities for us to get money together. I'm trying to look for opportunities for us to be, you know, who, who we need to be for society, right? If I could coach somebody up, then that's definitely what I'm going to do. Similar to how you guys pour into me, I try to pour into other other folks that may need, you know, that, that may need that uplift, right? And so, it's hard, you know, but we're committed to it. Hey, listen, hey, hey, listen, I, 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 I know it is, man. Hey, I'm a hard person to be friends with, but I, I love y'all and I appreciate y'all. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right. So for for what I will say is, you guys mentioned a lot of them already. And what I think is really interesting is that some on my list will be on your list and vice versa. And even some on my list that you haven't mentioned, I bet we will share in common. There are books that we have read in common. And I don't know for a fact that you read it or not, but like Sharif, you and I went back and forth on this once. I was like, you know, ISIS papers and blah, 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 blah. And I just assumed you knew what the ISIS papers were and that you had read it and that you were familiar with what was in it, right? And it's because there are these shared cultural, you know, moments or touchstones or whatnot that yep. different groups of us had in common. Uh, if I went through mine really quick, because I know we're over, I'll say for sure Sesame Street was a juggernaut. And I am still a lifelong Sesame Street donor. I oh. give to the Sesame Street uh, workshop right now monthly because of how successful it actually was. <laughs> it was the most successful school I've ever seen in Jim Henson, not part of black culture, but very dedicated to, he thought that TV could be used to bring uh, inner city black and Latino kids uh, up to speed with everybody else. I so thought that the grouch was black and I don't know what that said about where I grew up. I don't know what it said. I'm, I'm ashamed to say that. You couldn't tell me the grouch wasn't black, fam. I, I just, you couldn't tell A lot tell of the characters me. were black. To, to be to be real with yeah, you, Elmo was black. black. People didn't know that Elmo black. <laughs> you know, you think it ain't easy to be green is is anything other than you know <laughs> that was a struggle, right? Yeah, the struggle music. Uh, there have been literal studies that talk about uh, how uh, how much Sesame Street did for an entire generation or two of young people in terms of uh, getting them on board with colors, numbers, shapes, sizes, concepts, all that type of stuff, re really. And I can remember, literally can remember, one of my first memories is sitting on the pot in front of a big-ass TV with shag carpet watching uh, uh, um, Sesame Street, and uh, which is why today I'm, I'm still a lifelong giver. Uh, same thing with the Peanuts gang and some of those other ones. People put books in my hands really early in my life that were uh, entertaining, but I didn't know that they also had science and other stuff in them. Um, but then, you know, TV, I, be, I was a big TV kid. So I, I mentioned some of the shows earlier, like, you know, uh, Good Times and, and the Jeffersons and some of these other shows were like, like I religiously, I knew what day of the night they came on, when they were going to be there. I was in front of the TV right at the right time, ready to go. Like, <laughs> like let's do this, right? Uh, and I could have told you all about their lives. Uh, Word Up Magazine and right on. Right. Like was like my I, because I was into entertainment and music or whatnot. I read that like the Bible. I mean, I was just like cover to cover. Mm -hmm. So I could tell you things about the lives of black entertainers from that era that I shouldn't know because I just was a that faithful of a reader uh, of that time. And my parents had a policy to 
they say no to a lot of stuff in every store except for anything like a magazine or a book. So if we ever like the grocery store, I could pick up as many magazines as I want. It was the only thing I could put. I couldn't put Frosted Flakes in the basket because that wasn't for us. You got to get that bag cereal at the bottom, <laughs> right? son. <laughs> but I, I could get Word Up magazine if I wanted it. Couldn't get the good. No frills, I couldn't get Joe. tricks. <laughs> no, nah, I couldn't get tricks. I could get kicks with them. ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ちょっとね、ち
pops. <laughs> Are you like I disavow. I disavow. <laughs> and I listened to it for two years. It stayed wow. on my turntable and never left my turntable except for to flip and to listen to other songs on the same album for a couple of years and then became a lifelong Prince fan. Found all kinds of meaning in it and everything else that lasts me until today. So kids, the lesson of the story is still $12 from your dad if you need to cut school. You ain't buying no album. You ain't buying no album these days for that. Uh, well, you Yo, sure but you, you, you talk about like those books, you know, and I have black voices somewhere, but you know, you mentioned, you know, you showed this, you're talking about like that shared capital, right? Like, you know, Asada, you mentioned, yep. you mentioned Asada and of course, you know, uh, Malcolm and, and the, you know, some of the other, uh, uh, joins you wrote like yeah that's that shared uh history my yeah, angelo did that was, for me too my angelo yeah. like i know why the cage bird sing was like mm-hmm. like i was like oh like wait like she this is a real story like this like oh shit that's crazy so yeah her her and her and baldwin them, them pins was just ridiculous man like uh, okay y'all, i want to ask you a question name name a teddy pentagraph song oh, turn on the lights yeah okay go. now name another one since he said that one let me see. I'm terrible with names. I am Philly. You from I know, Philly. I'm, Philly. I'm just terrible with the names, though. Close oh. the door. Mm. What's the you got one? The one where he's screaming at people. You got, you got. <laughs> <laughs> man, get me up there. You got. Hey, That's what man, I mean? Man. <laughs> man, hey, hey, Chris, putting the screen on you, talking about this indie show, so I can get out of here. <laughs> Listen, y'all, we appreciate y'all friends and family for spending another Sunday night with us to not talk about education, but to talk about culture that is educative. It is, but we're talking about culture, which is educative. And and we have people in classrooms and in schools who are taught to teach necessarily and Mm. and do well in education Mm. who don't know so much about the universe of the children that are coming into their classroom every day. And that's a shame because when you miss these cultural markers and you miss these cultural kind of backstories of the people that you're trying to teach, that's not a small miss. That's a big miss. That's, a, that's like the biggest miss. Ooh, Michelle put TK. Oh, how can we forget yeah, that one? She oh, put that in there. Just, just, come go oh, with hey. me all that. Yeah, come on, yeah. man. Come on and go hey, with me. All right. But, but, so, hey, Charles, there's so many other things that we could have talked about. We could have talked about basketball culture and like but, AI. You know, but that's the thing. But, but this, you, you could have. That's, that's, that's what the show was a part of. You could have. I was going to say, because so, we didn't yeah. get into the show until about 40 minutes. And like, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's okay. It's fine. But you see all this joy that we've been having the last 40 minutes. Because right? I'm like, wait, we're, about, we're not about to have final thoughts. Like, I want to keep it going. But I, I, I know we need to get old, but. I, you know, Listen, I, I, I will give you final, final thoughts. thoughts. You want final thoughts? Give me final thoughts because we've been over before. We've been over before. We and sure have. I want it from y'all. Y'all know stuff about basketball and how important it is Absolutely. to the life of young people. You know stuff that's backstory. We had a whole conversation about the different shows that are living just off of commentary of basketball now, Absolutely. which shows you this. But could you imagine being a teacher? who is missing so many of these essential elements of big conversations that are happening outside of the school with the people that they're trying to teach, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But some stuff I don't, I don't know if I want teachers to try to tackle some stuff. I want to stay in our community, right? Like think about, you know, everybody got mad at the Juneteenth uh, Walmart ice cream. Right. And I did thing, not. I, but this is what my point is. Right. Cause I'm addicted to the sugar. Same people, but the same people that got mad at it was the same people last year that was asking for it to be a federal thing. It didn't need to be a federal thing. It was our thing. 
when you make something federal, when you say I want this to be Americanized, you can't be mad when America, America it up. Walmart, like, mm-hmm. we're going to make some money off this thing, right? Oh, y'all want it to be like 4th of July? Well, we need some 4th of July S-type sales. So I think that, like, everything don't have to be given away to these other people. We really got to get to this place where we stop believing that white ice is colder and white appreciation and celebration is more important than some stuff staying tucked. I love spades. I love dominoes. You want to teach a kid how to count? You want to teach a kid to be strategic? Put them at a dominoes table at a party and leave them to their devices. They're going to learn how to count real quick because they're going to get yelled off the table. I'm just telling you. really interesting. Like, like reconstruction, our sister Kai Henderson, who has reconstruction.us, they yeah. literally have yeah. a spades class, right? Mm-hmm. They have a spades class. I might class take that, that class. That you need to. Spades, right? You so need to take that class. And you I mean, to. there's a lot of people that, like, don't know Trump, don't Listen, know Pity Pat. I, I learned it for a couple weeks, and then I forgot. Yeah. Like, I knuckle, all this stuff, right? Bro, if you if you learn spades for a couple weeks, I didn't forget and, Uno, it, and I declare war. you don't know it. You ain't learn it. I didn't declare war. This is what we should have called this show. We should have called this show Black Famous. There because you go. There, are, there are things that Let's are do it famous. Next week. There Let's do it next week. That are famous amongst black people, and I have the one best example that I always use when I make when I talk about this concept. Well, let me. I'm gonna ask you. What do you think is my one best example of black famous? Something that oh, I don't know. I'm black not people do that. Okay. Can't nobody. <laughs> I'm gonna say it. Y'all could disagree with me or not. Frankie Beverly and Maze. No, absolutely. Comes yeah, on, that's, that's and it feels famous. like a Saturday. Yeah. It feels like that's, a Saturday, that's, no matter where you famous. are. Yeah. That comes up. That's black famous. Now uh. ask five people to name three of their songs, right? Three white people. Ask them to name three Frankie Beverly and Maze songs, and you will discover really quickly how many people don't know something that we all know, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Frankie Beverly and Maze comes on. It feels like I'm cleaning up. Uh, matter of fact, you know what? That's another black cultural tradition. There's hey. a lot of songs. There's a lot of songs to me that sound like Saturday morning. Like my ass hey, is cleaning swag, up. Sir. I gotta clean swag, up. Sir, I, to- I told you if outstanding is playing, it's gonna be a good day in my house. <laughs> didn't li- listen, if Mary J. Blige <laughs> is playing, or, or if listen, fam, or... if Mary yeah. J. Blige, if my mama was playing Mary J. Blige, get your ass out the house. If leave. If Daddy you done hey. did something. Hey, hey, the same way you guys are putting that Frankie Beverly and May's jam, which is a classic. Right, you also got to talk about this new generation. Swag surf is a classic. What is in college? College stuff. It's a co- but this, again, bro. You keep going back to like elite college stuff. Like I'm not mad at elite. You. I don't know if that's elite. It's, what is it? College is elite. If it's look like okay, so that's what we were saying, right? And 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 I like the answer, right? But I'm trying to follow the rules where it was asking about stuff <laughs> not related to school. Because yeah. again. Most yeah. of our people don't have that experience of college, let alone a black college. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah. it's it should be celebrated, and I feel like we do celebrate it. I'm just we just we just trying to show some love to like the stuff that's like played at your auntie party, and she went she graduated from high school. You know what I'm saying? And then she got the they got the pink panties on the uh uh the drink on the uh on on the blender. They got their drinks <laughs> happening. They smoking. I'm just. T- Look, I, what yeah. we, I mean, got the barbecue going, like you know, somebody, somebody daddy on the grill. This is like how how deep and different culture could be, you know. But I'm just saying, hey, but hey, somebody hey, dad on the grill. About. <laughs> a national tre- a national treasure that I don't necessarily want to celebrate, but uh, hey, it changed from generation to generation. So uh, I guess in an earlier generation, it would have been a pack of cool filter kings, and then a newer generation would have been a pack of Newport. Newport, yeah, My grandmama gave me a note. Your granny gave you that note, sent your ass to the store, and yeah. they gave you them squares. 
Like, that's yeah. what I'm saying, right? Like, and, and this is what I'm saying. Like, we got into the show like 40 minutes in. Here was the, I know we, here was the one thing I wanted to say to the, to the younger people that might be listening. Because a lot of these people think that being Twitter famous is like doing something for the community or like because you learned the word, you learned about AAVE last week and now you want to lecture people on it this week. Stop doing that shit. I want to, I, I, and I know I can name a lot of people, but I'm going to still stick on Eddie Murphy because a lot of people know them. Eddie Murphy, before it was popular, before you got love for it, he showed black excellence in a movie like Boomerang that he spent with his own money, right? He lost money, had to deal with these people around doing it. He didn't get no fanfare, right? He had to, like, spend a lot of bread for that. Or, like, he showed us, uh, like, in Coming to America, showed us, built Zamunda and, like, built these things or whatnot. Like, there were people that we might not have that a lot of people want to call smart, intelligent, and for the people. But then you look at their body and stuff. Like when he got, when he went to the Academy Awards and he was supposed to give out an award because he was the most popular thing on the planet and he scolded their ass with his time and said, you don't have black people up here. You never do. And I told y'all I wasn't going to do this, right? Like I'm, I'm saying there are so many de- ways that you could be for this culture. And, and if you have not read this book, you should read it. It's called The Spook That Sat By The Door. And I think a lot more people need to read it and need to digest it because there are some lessons in there where you can be who you are. You don't have to be what the Internet and Twitter and social media say you got to be to be an activist in your place. You ain't got to shame other black people. You ain't got to be better than them. You ain't got to because you got a college degree, try to put other people down. If you really about black people, then you about all black people, whether they got a college degree or not. Don't be that black person that don't like your culture that wasn't black amongst your friends, but you get to be the person of color in the room full of white people and you shut out other black people. That's what I wanted people to take away from Charles, this job. So, hey, 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 same uh, with the. Um, ain't same ready with the, for uh, the spook who sat by the door. I mean, no, they should. They better just, get ready. Shit, that's a man, little, Hey, Chris, 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 Chris. Yes, yes, sir. Seven ups, seven ups. Yeah. And and, and goody standbacks and Coca Cola. See, now you're talking regional culture, though. <laughs> like, because if I say Hucklebucks, nobody's going to yeah, know what a Hucklebuck yeah, is, right? Yeah. No one in America, no one like listening to this right now is going to know what a Hucklebuck is. Louisiana. Hucklebuck is a frozen cup. Hucklebuck. If I say burl and egg, you know, <laughs> put it in some oil, you know, there's like a whole bunch of things where people are going to be like, you know, nah, you know. But, 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 uh, Charles, going back to what you were saying about Eddie Murphy and putting his money on the line for that. Do you remember mm-hmm. what the what the review said? The movie review of Boomerang said, "Oh, it wasn't white people. It wasn't realistic because there wasn't no white people in it." It literally said, "This comedy movie isn't realistic because it shows all his hubris by having an all black executive class." Meaning, there couldn't possibly be a company that had all these black executives, so it's just hard to access it. The literal uh, reviewer of note, and I think it was the New York Times, wrote that mm-hmm. about the movie. That it just mm-hmm. wasn't believable because it had all these black people playing executives. And <laughs> get your mind around <laughs> at the same time, they're putting ET up there. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, they're talking about having a few Negroes in the executive class is not realistic, but ET, that's a good movie. <laughs> that's some alien, that's totally believable. Poltergeist, goddamn. I get those <laughs> coming out my TV all the time, right? Oh. Niggas running the company, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> What's get wrong with you? <laughs> what is up what is with this you, madness? You, 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 in the front. Hey, yo, hey, yo, yo, Wallen. Hey, Chris, can, can somebody plug yes, this Indiana live show starting, starting off the on the on cold tour? Let, the, right. let these people know. So, folks, um, if you're if, if you're in Indianapolis on Thursday at uh 1:30 p.m., uh the eight black hands will be opening up. 
uh, our own cold tour uh, in Indianapolis, uh, Indiana. I don't know the exact spot. All I know is 1.30 on Thursday. We out here. Charles probably knows the exact spot. Don't put that on me. Uh, we will, but what we will do is we'll post it. We'll, we'll post it. It's been shared on our page. Go to our Instagram. We'll have all the details there. We'll have it on Instagram and Facebook. But come on out. We starting this tour. And if you see that that flyer and you say, hey, why is my city not on there? Then reach out to any of the four of us and we can talk about it. Um, we will work with you. Um, and we would definitely love to be in your place because, again, it is time for our people to be on code. And I think this was a great episode to kind of help kick that off. I think that if you have not gone and gotten our book that we made for y'all for free as a labor of love go to abh.org right now and go grab that share with your people all we ask is that you give us your email address so we can keep you all uh in the loop around the stuff that we're doing thank y'all for y'all continued support as always we appreciate your support of the eight black hands and the mission that we're on to make sure that every one of the eight million black kids gets a good education part of that happening is us just sharing a culture sharing the love and the uh, the commitment to doing for our people what our ancestors did for us, which is to carry the story on, get more people across that threshold and cross that line. Come see us if you can come see us live, but if you can't, get us to come to your city live. And if you can't do that, do what Charles said. Go to 8bh.org. Uh, give us your email address, sign up, be part of the family. Also, look for our different shows. Each of us has different things going on, so stay in touch with us on social media and see all that we've got going on. Share the love. Uh, I have just survived an attack of COVID after two years of being completely COVID-free and escaping it. So I just, you know, my final message to you, so all you think. will be, so I think uh, my final message to you all would be like, health is no joke. Uh, be careful with Let's each other. Uh, don't be close talking. Nobody, you know, there's nothing important. <laughs> there's nothing that important you got to say. Be close talking to people. People ain't trying to feel, uh, people don't feel you like that. They really don't. I don't care what you look like, uh, how important you think you are. People just don't feel you like that, right? You don't have to be all up into somebody's grill to get your point across, right? And you definitely ain't got to be spitting and slurping and shit, right? Like over <laughs> people, you know, you don't have to do all that. You don't have to do all that, right? Why does that feel like he knows the exact moment that he caught it? Hi, uh, <laughs> y'all. Y'all have a great time. Possibly, you know, but I'm just going to say God this. Bless. Just, you know, if you out 